Today on Thrive Loud with Lou Diamond. The super worker, how to become a supervisor. That's really where my uh, sweet spot is. Hey, Angelie, how are you? Oh, hi, Kayla. So sorry, I just had my headphones in. I was just catching up on the latest episode of Thrive Loud with Lou Diamond. Oh, I'm totally hooked. I just binge listened to the last three episodes. The inspiration it has always gets me through my day. I know. Between the entrepreneurs, CEOs, best-selling authors, thought leaders, amazing speakers, and famous people and personalities, there is just so much great content. Right? Lou really taps into the heart and soul of the guests and totally decodes how they are able to thrive. Yeah, which interview do you like most? Oh gosh, that's impossible to choose. I know, I'm trying to pick. How about favorite question? Your Your all-time favorite movie? movie. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta run, Angelie. Keep on listening. Check you later, Kayla, and thrive loud. Figured we would just start doing Pink Panther music to keep the show and theme. Figured we'd we'd get Pink Panther music going. I don't know why. Yeah, you know, just keep it going. Sure. <laughs> figure we mix up the intro to the show. We figured Ralph is flexible that way. So, <laughs> all right. So you're ready to rock and roll? I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. Right. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Thrive Loud with Lou Diamond. We've got Pink Panther here, <laughs> getting a chance to connect with you with the most inspiring people that are thriving each and every day. I'm your host, Lou Diamond, and today on Thrive Loud. We have a very interesting individual with an amazing resume, incredible leadership and management skills. From a down-and-out housekeeper to being a successful entrepreneur, this speaker, coach, and consultant inspires audiences to challenge the way they look at themselves, their teams, and their businesses. His recent book, Congratulations, Now Get Over Yourself, one of my favorite titles, is exactly the message we all need to hear and we'll drill down more in our conversation today. His personal achievements in life are awe-inspiring and impressive, and I'm glad we caught him between the unbelievable number of marathons he's been running. Thrive Loud listeners, he's taken a pit stop. He's grabbed a glass of water. He's ready to chat. Ralph Peterson, welcome to Thrive Loud. Why, thank you so much. Ralph, it is good to catch up with you. we'll, we'll, We'll chat down all these little avenues here. Oh, I like it. He's got Rocky music in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Letting me know that it's time for the Thrive Lab podcast. There you go. So uh, let's start off with, with, let's get the basic skills, specifically in the work that you do in consulting. Uh, You have a unique practice in what you focus on. You want to share with the listeners what that is and what you drill down on, and then we'll, we'll expound from there. Certainly. Yeah. No, I, I train first-time managers. I work with le- managers at all levels, but mostly it's the super worker, how to become a supervisor. That's really where my uh, sweet spot is. So I work in long-term care specifically, and I started out working in housekeeping. And it started out where, how do you become a housekeeping manager? You first be the best housekeeper. That's where we get our housekeeping managers. They're the, they're the ones who are showing up on time. And so, but that's true in, in my industry for certain. So in long-term care, the, the dietary manager last year was the best dietary cook or the best dietary aide. And the maintenance supervisor was last year, the maintenance worker, but the best one, you know, so it's, 
That's my understanding. That's what I do. Ralph, I, I love asking this question because I've heard different schools of thought. Sometimes someone is excellent at what they do. They're amazing. They could be a great salesperson. They could be the best, as you just said, best housekeeper, best healthcare manager. And they then get promoted and they go up to the next level. They might not necessarily be as good at that management level and or that manager role as they were producing or doing the thing they did before. How can you help people get better on each elevated left level that they move up? Actually, I'm even going to give you uh, some statistics behind that. Okay. So there's approximately, roughly, about 5 million people get promoted into leadership each year. And two-thirds of them, 3.3 million of them, fail in mm. the first 90 days. Wow. So it's a, it's a big deal. And it's a big question that you're asking. And I liken it to driving a car. You know, do you, can you drive a car? I can drive a car pretty well, yeah, actually. You, how, how long have you been driving a car? Um, 30 plus years, I guess now. So a long time. You, yeah. you probably don't remember what it was like when you first tried to navigate the brake and the gas and the looking and trying to read every sign that goes down by the road and staying on your side and not taking too wide of a turn or too close of a turn. Well, I'll say this. I, I do now have two young drivers who have recently oh. had to educate. However, to your point, um, all those specifics, even the speed that I would drive in the car versus the speed my young new drivers would drive in the car would be different because obviously there's that new familiarity with driving and, and getting back to that level. So yes, I, I, I'm familiar with it, but I, but obviously after 30 years of driving, it, it's, it's definitely Second something I had to tap back into. Correct. So that, so that what I just described to you is how to go from a new employee to a long-term employee. Hmm. That's just simply how to you start a job you've never done before, and they teach you, and you do it wrong, and you keep having to practice, right? So going from knowing how to drive a car really, really good to can you build a car? Can you put a car together from I scratch? <laughs> okay, that's, that's managing. See, so the difference is we think that the, the transition is going from when you first learn how to drive until you can drive really good. That's the same thing with management. No, it's really not. The thing with management is you first get to learn how to drive, then you drive really good. Then somebody says, you look like you can put a car together. Like, uh, all right, why do you think that? Well, we see you're obeying all the laws. You get in on time. You look like you're driving really well. You probably know how to put gas in that thing. Check the oil. Fix a fl Can you fix a flat? Oh, sure, I can fix a flat. Oh, you can definitely put a car together. Let me show you how to do it. <laughs> and uh, you see the scope of learning is 10 times harder. It's way different. It's not even close to being the same thing, but we don't look at it that way. And so we just automatically think our super workers can easily transition into a supervisor position. And it's a little bit more difficult than that, but they can do it. Absolutely. Of course. But. So, so actually, this is a really good um, question to follow up on this. And that is that a lot of times promotion is the way to reward someone for doing that good job after maybe they've capped out maybe on financially and what they can do. What can leaders? What can leadership be doing better to help Everything. prepare people? Everything. <laughs> Go ahead. Hire Ralph is what they should Everything. do. Yes. Yeah. No. I, I think in my industry, what I see a lot is uh, a, a couple of things. There's, there's, well, you know, as I think about it, there's five million things that can be doing different. No. So where I see failure the most with my 
transition from super worker to supervisor is number one, the expectations. The expectations are it's just like driving a car and it's really not. It's more like building a car when you've never even owned a wrench, right? So it's way different. The, the second piece is we don't let managers, especially new managers, fail. And because we don't let them fail, we don't empower them because we don't let them make decisions. And a lot of us are in such a hurry that, and this is a really, this is a really bad, this is a, one of those signs, like, here's your sign. You're not a good manager. When I'll do it myself comes out of your face too often, uh, you know, that, yep. and you'll have experienced managers who seem to be having a pretty good hold on their department, try to promote or work with a new manager. And I'll hear them. I let it go once. I let it go twice. The third time I'm like, come here. If I hear you say you're going to do it yourself again, I'm literally going to, I'm going to get handcuffs. I think that's what I, my next move is <laughs> when a new manager, I'm just going to get handcuffs. I'm going to zip time or something. So they can't use their hands. So they, they forces them not to do the work because <laughs> that it's a management's a, a, a lot of things, but it's also the art of persuasion. How do you get somebody to do something that they're not already doing or not already willing to do? That's management. Ralph, I came from a school that when you actually got promoted, you had already been doing the job that you got promoted to for quite some time. Um, it was really the title change was almost after ipso facto, whatever it was, whatever the right legal term is after you've done it uh, because of the fact that that understanding what needed to be done was a pro process you needed to go through. Talk about what leaders are dealing with in organizations today and how you specifically, what is your tactics on helping people with that transition and that move up so that they're most prepared the next time they get promoted up to lead and manage? That's a really, that's a really fantastic question, actually, because I get asked a lot from people who are not managers and they're trying to work their way up into management. They always want to know, what can I do? How do I become a manager? And the first thing, to your point, is you have to be super, super great at your job. You have to be so fantastic at whatever your specific job is that everybody recognizes you and goes to you as the person. If we have a question or a problem with this one thing, I know Lou knows it more than anybody else does. Being so great at your job is really helpful for you because you need some understanding of what they're, you know, the, the, the actual mechanics of the work you're doing or you're in charge of is but the other part is confidence and not confidence of the person who's doing the job confidence of everybody around so when i promote you everybody goes yeah no question it was low he's always been the best i mean he's he's been the go-to person forever about that thing see so if we don't gain the confidence that's what happens a lot is we promote somebody for every person you're promoting somebody else thinks they should have been promoted so there's always that leapfrog. There's always two, three, four, five people in a department, and they all think they deserve the leadership position. And you can only choose one of them. You had better choose the best one. Because let me ask you this, Lou. Here's a question I pose to everyone all the time. Are managers better than their staff? <laughs> it's a very good question, and whether that's what you want around you. I, want to, I, I have an opinion about what that should be, but I want tell me, Tell me what your opinion is. Are managers better than their staff? So I believe that you should surround yourself with people that are better than even you are. Um, that actually one, one of the leadership thoughts is that 
the you should as the leader you should be the least smartest and least capable person you should surround yourself with those great capable people that that's a thought that i have actually i didn't ask if you thought if leaders are smarter <laughs> i asked are they better this is a judgment call are leaders are managers better than their staff so don't dance i'm not going to dance around it i would say yes they should be <laughs> should yes. be are they and not in all cases no Okay. So most of the time, everybody says no. They're like, listen, we're all God's children. We all put our pants on one leg at a time. I'm no better. I'm no different than my staff. And of course, you're absolutely right. You, it's not, it's, it, by the way, it's not a declaration. I'm not declaring that managers are better than their staff. I am making a command. And you know, as a matter of fact, I'm not making the command. All the people under you are commanding that you, if you want me to work for you, if you want me to come in early, stay late, work Saturday and Sunday when it's not my Saturday and Sunday to work, you had better be better than me. You had better come in earlier, stay later, dress better, be more appropriate, don't curse, use the right language, use the right tone, take lunch appropriately, don't <laughs> act foolish when you're not on the job. You had better be better than me. See, a lot of people get uncomfortable with it, but truthfully, that's how we can even find managers because we always promote the best of us. Nobody ever goes, oh, let's go find, you know, you know who'd be a really good manager? Um, Sherry. Is Sherry here? Oh, she called out again? Oh, that's too bad because I think she'd be really great if she were here. Of course, of course she wouldn't be great. She called out again. She's the one who's never here, always you know, comes in late, leaves early. Nobody promotes mm -hmm. that person. We always promote the best of us. Super workers are who we get promoted to supervisors. So if you want to become a supervisor, you have to first become super, super great at your job. Be the go-to person at your job. The second thing I know is it took me a long time to answer that question, but to get back to it, the second part of that is the idea of mentoring and coaching and putting on that mentoring hat. I know clients, I have clients that literally use the word mentoring. When a manager comes in, and they just need some advice. They will say to their manager, the person that's training them, I need some mentoring. And that is a key word to let everybody know that I'm not asking you to make the decision for me. I'm asking you to talk, talk me through it. Let me, let me hear your opinion. I'm going to form my own. Let me make my own decisions. I want to make my own choices. But mentoring, I need some mentoring. It's one of the greatest <laughs> tricks. Congratulations. Now get over yourself, which is one of my favorite titles of a book in the last couple of years, Ralph. Uh, <laughs> impetus behind the title itself and the, and the main key thing that you wanted to get out of this particular book, because you've written a bunch of other ones before this. I know that. Yeah. The, the impetus is, um, that's the, that's the number one thing. I, I can't tell you the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Roanoke, Virginia to run my 59. We'll get to that too, by the way. <laughs> and yeah. So I'm in Roanoke, Virginia at the, at the, at the Holiday Inn. And I, I have dinner I brought to the hotel, but I didn't have any silverware. So I go down in the front lobby and they do have a restaurant. So I asked the manager if he has any silverware, plasticware, whatever. And he says, yeah, sure. Let me go. To, let's go to the, to the kitchen. We start walking to the kitchen. Out comes this young man, probably... 21, 22 year old guy. And he's got the biggest smile on his face. And he announces to his manager, his boss, I just solved the, I just solved a, a, a huge problem all by myself. And it was super difficult. The manager doesn't skip a beat. He says, 
well, good. Maybe you can solve this guy's problem. He totally ignored (laughs) (laughs) that this guy just, oh my gosh. I remember the first time I solved a problem at work. I felt like the biggest hero in the world. So to answer your question, congratulations, now get over yourself. That is really, when you get promoted to a leadership position, when, at least for me, when I got promoted to a leadership position, I was so excited. I was so proud of myself. I couldn't believe my boss actually thought me thought that I could be a manager. I didn't, I was only 16 years old when it happened. And I couldn't, I just simply couldn't believe. I got fired eight minutes later. Relax. I, I truly wasn't ready. But when he said, do you want to be the manager? I was like, oh, my God, my head swelled to the moon. It's great. It feels really wonderful. However, managing is never – they don't tell you this when you first get promoted. You have to learn it the hard way. It is never about you. Never. There's ne- I worked all day today with managers, and not one of them cared about me. Not one of the problems they brought was mine. And, in fact, all the problems they brought, they weren't theirs either. Nobody cares about them either. It's only about our staff and our customers. That's it. It's You've got congratulations. It's really wonderful. If you look at the title, there's an exclamation yep. point on it because I do want to say congratulations. It's super great. All right. Now let's come back down. It's not about you. Get over yourself. <laughs> it's really good. By the way, we'll, we'll put links on the, uh, the, the book covers on the podcast uh, page for Ralph here. And we will also put the front and the back cover images of this book, mostly for the reasons that you will see something he and I both appreciate about presidents of the follically challenged. Uh, <laughs> so, so Ralph, you, you briefly alluded to it. I talked about it in the opening. You are a marathon runner and you have been running many yes. of them. I want to rewind a little bit yes. because I know you've made an incredible personal achievement in your life. Talk about how this all started because what was that? You said your 59th marathon you just completed at the time of this recording? Yes. 50, <laughs> thank you for saying that. At the time of this recording. Yes. 59th marathon. You know, I was just telling this story. I was just telling my story a little earlier and I always pause when somebody asks me about it because I'm still embarrassed. As stupid as it is. It's been six years now. I mean, I'm all, I just turned 48. So it happened to me on my 42nd birthday, the day that I woke up fat. Now, I know that that sounds weird that you just wake up fat, but I'm going to tell you, I truly, I woke up one day uh, in the Bahamas, um, hungover and uh, very sore because I had fallen head first down a set of concrete steps that led <clears> into a pool the day before. And uh, might have had a little bit of a drinking problem. And so <laughs> it's always embarrassing to tell the story. But it was actually, that was the impetus. Like when I was, I was in bed and I'm embarrassed and I, so I don't, I'm, I'm on vacation and I'm refusing to leave the hotel room because I'm all bloody and I made a complete fool of myself the day before. And so I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm staying in bed and I'm, I'm licking my wounds and I'm depressed. I'm feeling sorry for myself. On the TV, every 20 minutes or whatever, there's a commercial, an infomercial for an insanity program. And insanity is one of those workout programs. Now, keep in mind, this was only six short years ago. I've, I've been speaking and training managers for 20 years. So I was doing the same job that I'm doing right now, but I weighed 350 hmm. pounds. I'm six feet tall. So I mean, if you could just imagine, I had a 48-inch waist. I was almost 
as tall as I was around. Like I was really close. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a management trainer. And so I'm watching this, these, this couple, this guy and this girl, and they are in complete best shape of their lives. And it dawns on me as I watch the infomercial that it's their job to look like that. Like, Imagine if it was your job to have six pack abs, you would, and and that was your job. Your whole job was to have six pack abs. And somebody said, Hey, do you want to go out and uh, it's so-and-so's birthday. We're going to go get some pizza and a beer. Do you want to go? And you go, I can't go. (laughs) I'm working. What do you mean you're working? It's six o'clock at night. I know, but my job is to not eat that. That's my job is to look like this, not like that. And I don't know, it just clicked with me. And I was like, I write job routines for a living. I help people come out with processes and fix things. I can do this. And that's literally what I did. And that's how I wrote the book, Adventures in Diet Land, How to Win at the Game of Dieting from a Former Fat Guy. Because I realized it wasn't the diet I was doing. Is I just never knew how to diet. So it was the how hmm. to diet that I had and, to fix. I mean, literally hitting rock bottom, as you an example, <laughs> falling down the stairs. Um, <laughs> but, but so then there's one uh, thing in getting yourself in shape and knowing how to diet. And then there's this spirit of running. So... Is running your go-to enjoyment or is there this drive in you to compete? I, I'm going to say this with as much sincerity as possible. And, and you know what? I don't even, it, it, I want to be a hero. I need a cape. I don't own a cape. I don't know why. I Did, didn't didn't you see the Incredibles movies? No cape. Like, hey. no capes. No capes. No capes. I, I, no, I, ever since I was a little kid, I have always wanted to be a hero. I have always wanted to be Superman. I've always wanted to leap tall buildings in a super single bound. I have always wanted to run faster than a locomotive. I mean, and I'm not being facetious. I mean, I seriously, that's what drives managers, by the way. that This thing that I'm talking about is what drives most people in leadership. Or not all. I know there are some, I'm working with some bad apples right now who are, more family orientated in their leadership rather than actual uh, being fair to everyone. But so I know that happens, but I always want to be the hero. And I found, I didn't start out running. I started out walking. I was like determined. I was just going to be a person who walked. And then I started doing the telephone game, you know, where you'd run from one telephone pole to the next telephone pole, then try not to die as you catch your breath between that telephone pole and the next one. And then my friend told me about this thing called the Rugged Maniac. And then we did Spartan races. And then it was our first half marathon. And then we're like, we should just do a whole marathon. And we did our first full marathon. And I was like, I'm going to do another one. And then another one. And then another one. And I've run, like I said, 59 marathons. But I ran (laughs) three Ironmans last year, two halves and a full. I just signed up for my second full Ironman this year. It's going to be in September in Maryland. I, How do you define yourself? I am an endurance athlete. I want to push myself and push myself and keep going and keep going because I feel like a hero out there. I mean, it takes me four hours, four and a half. I've, I've ran, I did a 50 mile run, the JFK 50 mile run. I ran for 12 hours nonstop. I mean, the Ironman was 16 hours. That was just an absolutely crazy, ridiculous, but it's superhuman. And, and I love that it's anybody can do a marathon. You know, anybody can be the hero. You can do it. And I think that's what's so great about running. It's why it's so popular. Everywhere you go, there's bubble runs and fun runs and color runs and 
half marathons and the medals are getting bigger and bigger. Oh, do I love medals. Oh, it's my. true. Uh, Thrive Live listeners will see this. He, he, he's not shy about posting them in social media when he finishes. And, and, and as, as you should not be shy, you should be able to boast and proud. I'm going to ask the question that I ask just about every guest that comes on this show. Cause I am curious as to where this one goes, Ralph. Um, I, I ask most guests when you have trouble thriving, who or what practice do you seek to get yourself back on the thriving track? I'm going to give a little exception here that isn't running <laughs> because you're always doing that. So if there's another <laughs> thing that you do to help you get back, if you have yeah. your game is off a little bit. Yeah. So there's so many things and my game is off all the time. I am constantly falling on and off the wagon of uh, where I'm always wanting to be on the path. Uh, but um, I got to tell you, I listen to, I have a lot of go-tos that I listen to, a lot of podcasts that I listen to, and a lot of audio books. And there's a guy I've named Jocko him, yes. Willink, and I don't know if you've ever heard of. Okay, well, he's, you know, I, I'm former Marine. He's Navy SEAL. I, I really, really respect and, and appreciate military and, and everything that comes out of it. And he is such a a fantastic representation of storyteller. And he, so he, he tells a lot of stories, reads a lot of books on a podcast and he does an awful lot of reading about leadership and mentoring about leadership. And he wrote this book called uh, discipline equals freedom, the field manual. And it is, it is probably my go-to when I'm like, I don't feel like doing push-ups today or I don't feel like running today. And then you just flip open his book and it says how to run every day. And he writes, you just run every day. But it really is. It really is. He's, he's really great. But I, I like all that stuff like Brian Tracy. And, do, do, and you, know, you listen a lot when you run, I would imagine. That's, that's, that's a good way to, to pass the time as you're doing it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. That actually, that actually started when I was going for my master's degree. I was always a music guy when I was when I was going, you know, when I was running. But I had to do a paper on Enron, and I and I was training for a marathon. And you know, you gotta you gotta do one. Something's gotta give. I was spending all this time running, and I was spending all this time at school, and all this time at work. And I I still needed to carve out time to read books for school. And somebody suggested I do Audible dot com and start downloading books. Now you. I will caution you, listening to The Downfall of Enron's probably shouldn't have been my first book that I tried to listen to while running because that was a different – I'd be like, what? i lose myself. But it's been, it's been a couple of years now. I don't listen to music ever. If I mm -hmm. listen to anything, it's podcast or books. It, it, it is interesting. And, and obviously, um, before I was a podcast guest, when my book came out and before I was a podcast host, I was a podcast listener. And – I started listening to news related stories and other weird things and different types of groups. I happen to love uh, where other, it's a group podcast or something like a group discussion and they're picking a certain topic and that topic can be something really serious or it could be really fun, like a movie or whatever. Um, and, and the amount of time I could do it, it, I, my brain seems to operate better and almost feel like I'm in the room with it. So it's a really good, relaxing listen, but that's cool that you do that too. Yeah. And that's, and it's great to hear that you're doing it when you're running. 
I've actually heard stories. Sometime a guy finished his run too much. He actually ended up running a little bit more because he wanted to get to the end of a certain chapter or story. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> uh, let's do this now. Let's do the admin part of the show, Ralph. Share with the listeners all the places people can find you. We are going to put it all in the show notes, but it is always better when they hear it from you. Yeah, it's real simple. Actually, it's ralphpeterson.com. And on social media, it is ralphpeterson08. And I know you're going to ask, why eight? It's because when I was seven, I wanted to be eight. Now, when I was eight, I did not want to be nine, but I always wanted to be eight. And uh, so it's always been my favorite number. (laughs) Did you play any sports in in school that you would try to request the number eight or something like that? Never. No. (laughs) You know what? I, I played a couple of sports, but I was I wasn't really ever good at it. And I was always such a nerd. I, I really liked to read and write. And I wanted to be a writer when I was eight years old. Hmm. So like for a long time, I have been lying and telling stuff. I've, I've lied this whole podcast. Not one thing has been true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're supposed to feature authentic and genuineness on this oh, show. No, I'm just I love it. I am such a big fan of... Uh, uh, extending stories and making them bigger and larger than life. I mean, that's that's what all writers are. So it's so fun. I've been doing it since I was eight, like I said. So let's do this. Uh, Mr. Ralph Peterson, what is your all-time favorite movie? Uh, <laughs> Groundhog Day. And why, Groundhog and why Day. specifically does it connect with you? You know, actually, there's a couple of reasons. It, one is because... I was taking a creative writing class or not a creative. I was taking a creative writing class when I was in college, community college. I was taking a creative writing class and an English 101 class. And the English 101 class, we were learning how to write just a standard, you know, five part essay. And in my creative writing class, we were to be talking about trying to make a story up. And so in my laziness, I thought that I could write one paper for both classes. (laughs) And so I was going to write about the Groundhog Day and how it all started, a bunch of drunk people getting together, having parties, and they'd stomp on the ground and try to shoot a groundhog when it's come out. And my my creative writing teacher, although enjoyed my story, didn't think my, was, my facts were correct. So she was always questioning me, my facts. And then my English teacher was like, that's what is your argument? I'm like, no, it's a good story. That's not what we're doing. We're making an argumentative essay, five-part, blah, blah. So – Years later, the movie Groundhog Day comes out with Bill Murray, and I think it's really fun. But then I found myself truly relating to the movie. If you walk through the movie, it's about this guy mm-hmm. who does everything wrong. He's very self-centered, only to mindful of himself, and he can't seem to get out of the place he's stuck in because he's only thinking about himself. And it's not until the end when he finally starts thinking about other people. And if you go through the movie, he gets tickets to – that helps somebody who just gets married or gets um, gets engaged. He helps people who are get a flat tire. He helps a kid falling out of a tree. Like all these things he knows are going to happen because he's seen it over and over and over again. Once he stopped being self-serving and started serving others, he was able to get out of that day. That's the movie in a nutshell. Yeah. And no spoiler alert, it's from 1993. If you haven't seen it, Google it. Yeah. That literally is the same place I was in as a manager. Where I was managing this, long, I was managing a housekeeping department in a long-term care facility, and it was every day was the same, and it wasn't good. And it realized that it was me. I was only talking and thinking and worrying about me. When I, when the nursing home had a bad day, I had a bad day. When the nursing home had a good day, I, you know what I mean. It was all about me, nobody else. 
And it wasn't until I started to serve my staff was I ever able to get out of that rut. So for me, that movie is, it's really personal to me on a couple different levels. It's hilarious and, and I love it. It's so great. Ralph Peterson, you couldn't have summed up this podcast and yourself and all the stuff you're doing in management and leadership better and looping it together with our signature movie question. Uh, this is why you truly thrive loud. Thank you, Ralph, for coming on the program today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And to it. all the Thrive Loud listeners out there, thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep thriving on Winter Upward. And remember, be brief, be bright, be gone. Once again, the eyes of the nation have turned here to this tiny village in western Pennsylvania blah 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 there is no way that this winter is ever going to end as long as this groundhog keeps seeing his shadow I don't see any other way out he's gotta be stopped and I have to stop him you've been listening to Thrive Loud with your host Lou Diamond Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Thrive Loud. Or find us on the web at thriveloud.com.